Venture candidate 2019, Atricia Lewis, generously invited us to her home. With less than 10 years since her call, she's already a senior associate at her Bay Street firm. We spoke about the importance of inclusion, accessibility, and governance in the upcoming election. Atricia, thank you so much for inviting us to your home and making yourself available on a Sunday. Of course. It's very exciting to see a fresh face from one of the large firms. And I'd like to know a little bit about what inspired you to run. So it was a lot of things. The critical moment for me, though, was when I was watching a convocation that happened in the fall when the benchers were debating governance reform. And some of the reform at issue was whether or not term limits should be reduced from 12 to 8 and whether or not they should get rid of life benchers. And some of the speeches that were taking place during that conversation really troubled me. It made me realize that there needs to be a difference of perspectives, especially along the lines from a junior call. So for instance, one of the life benchers in his speech to try and discourage people from getting rid of life benchers said, or rather compared himself to him and other life benchers as elders in First Nations communities. I thought that that was a disrespectful comment. I thought it missed the mark. And so when I was hearing things like that, I thought it's time that we have new perspectives on convocation because part of the issues that we're having is there's a lack of representation amongst newer calls. And you are in what year of practice? I'm a 2013 call, so I've been practicing for six years. And can you tell us a bit about your journey into law? Yeah, so I'm one of those people who always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. It's a bit of a calling, to be honest. Ever since I was seven years old, I said I wanted to be a lawyer and wanted to be a lawyer and believed that I would be a lawyer. And I've pursued that path steadfastly until now, and I'm still a lawyer. And for me, what really inspired me at a young age, and I think really and truly inspires me now, is a pursuit of justice and fairness. When I was younger, I felt very marginalized and powerless, and I thought law was a good way to empower myself. I've noticed, especially as I become more senior in the bar, even though I'm only six years out, that people take what I have to say more seriously now. There's a lot of power that comes with being a lawyer, and we need to not forget that in our privileged place in society. Your platform is based on the principles of inclusion, accessibility, and governance. Can you tell us a bit about what that means to you? Yeah, so inclusion is broad. It's going to be building off of the really good work that the Law Society has done so far. To me, it means things like supporting the SOP, the Statement of Principles. It's really disappointing to me that there is a block that is anti-Statement of Principles. What's frustrating to me is now the discussion about inclusion is about this one statement. There's lots more that can be done. So there's lots more strategies in that policy that needs to be implemented. There's even more that can be done. So something that I've been thinking about is, you know, we should think about things like on-campus recruitment and what kinds of reform the Law Society can propose in that context. The Law Society already regulates things like when firms can call candidates and when candidates can be interviewed, etc. The Law Society has a scope to impose or include other reform. There's lots of ideas that can really advance inclusion. I've heard for some female criminal lawyers that the professional leave assistance program um, has some deficit, so it doesn't let you claim any income whatsoever when you're receiving that assistance, which disincentives you from taking it because then you can't maintain ongoing relationships with clients for small retainers. There's lots of creative things that we can be doing in the inclusion space, but I worry now that we're only talking about statement of principles, we're missing the thread about some of the other things that can be done. 
And I find that to be frustrating. I would echo that 100%. So much time has been spent discussing what, from my perspective, should, should be a non-issue. I hear you on that. For governance, what sorts of things would you like to see the Law Society do going forward? I think people miss this, but really, as a bencher, we're the board of directors of the Law Society. There's lots of important things that we need to be thinking about. So term limits, that's 101 in governance. Um, So we have 12-year term limits. I would advocate for even shorter term limits for eight years to ensure that there's renewal. Um, I would advocate for ensuring that we've got diverse representation on lots of different metrics, including year of call. Historically, we've been unable to have someone under 10 years of call get elected as a venture. And that's unfortunate because ventures make decisions that impact all lawyers and especially newer calls. And so when you're conceiving ventures or convocation as a board of directors, it really defies common sense to not have an important demographic be represented. And I may get the stat wrong, but I think 40% of lawyers in Ontario are under 15 years of call. So it's very remarkable to me that 75% of Toronto ventures right now were called in the 1980s. So it's not really representative of the people they seek to represent, knowing that, of course, that the Law Society's role is to be in the public interest and not necessarily on behalf of lawyers. But I think if you're only picking out a small subset of lawyers, you're never really going to get the representation you need to have good governance on issues of public interest. The last component of your your platform, of course, is accessibility. And I, I think that this bleeds into some of the other areas as well. But what's your vision for accessibility? So my access platform is twofold. So one, it's access to the profession and then access to justice. And access to the profession, so U of T is my alma mater. I'm very proud to be a U of T alum. And it is concerning to me that the tuition is $40,000 a year. We need data about what that means. I want to see data about what the financial aid is being offered to students. I want to know what that means to access, who's going to law school, what does that mean for our demographics of the future? Is it reflecting Canadian society? And if it's not, the law society has a role to play in that discussion. And so for me, I think access and access to the profession is in a huge priority. And then with respect to access to justice, again, as I said earlier, being a lawyer is a huge privilege. I've seen how it's changed my life. With privilege comes responsibility. We have a duty and a role to play in ensuring that our profession's accessible. There's things that the Law Society can do, and I'm not purporting to be an expert on all of these things. For instance, we really need to think about unbundling and what what kind of ways we can facilitate and ensure lawyers can actually provide services to people who need it and can't afford it. We need to be very creative about that because our current system isn't working for most Canadians. On the point about tuition, I think it's widely understood the Law Society has no direct control over what universities are charging for law school. So in what ways can the LSO involve itself in that kind of Sphere. So I think the Law Society does have a role to play or could play. I don't think it's elected to take that position yet. I think the Trinity Western decision where the Law Society declined to accredit Trinity Western as a law school because of the covenant um, not to engage in homosexual intercourse shows that the Law Society can say, we're not going to accredit you law school. And that's our PowerPoint. You know, of course, I wouldn't suggest that the Law Society 
take really extreme measures against U of T or any other school whose tuitions are high, but that's our leverage to have conversations with schools. And I think we should be having conversations with universities and law schools, and we should be asking questions and having the information because I don't know. I can't tell you. I know that U of T charges $40,000 a year, and I'm picking on U of T because it's my alma mater, so I feel like I can. (laughs) But I don't know how is financial aid tracking with that, and what are the stats? And the Law Society is in the best position to seek those stats. If the Law Society makes those requests, law schools will disclose. With that information, then we can think about a way forward to ensure that our profession is accessible. So as far as the priorities for convocation, what would you want to see looked at off the jump if elected? So that's a very good question. I think there's lots of priorities. One of the big things for me is shutting down any opposition to the statement of principles and putting that behind us. There's lots of things that we need to be focusing on, but this is a distraction. So I would want to focus on how do we end that conversation once and for all in favor of the SOP, of course. We really need to be thinking about access to justice because that's an issue that's really been discussed. It's an issue that the Law Society has the greatest role to play. And of course, inclusion is obviously number one on my pillars list because it's, A, it's an issue that's dear to my heart, but B, it's really important for our law society to be addressing those issues too. I'd love to know a little bit more about your practice and your day-to-day as a lawyer. How do you see yourself bringing that kind of perspective to convocation? I'm a litigator and I do civil litigation. And my practice is very, very broad. So I do a lot of commercial litigation on the commercial list. I'd say that's about a third of my practice. And then I do a lot of medical negligence cases. So defending doctors who are being sued for medical negligence. I would say that's probably another third of my practice. And then the other third of my practice is administrative law. I do a lot of work for universities, both advising them generally and with respect to some of their procedures on admin law issues. So if they institute proceedings against students or things of that nature, disciplinary actions. With that perspective, what do you think about the current regime at the Law Society? A good chunk of the budget goes toward discipline and investigations. Is that something that should be looked at? Is the status quo okay? What are your thoughts? I think it definitely needs to be looked at, more so in terms of efficient delivery of those services. Because again, when we talk about access to justice and and access to the profession and representation from younger calls, what I'm hearing and, and knowing from speaking to people is law society fees are steep and they disproportionately impact junior calls, especially ones that whose firms aren't covering their fees. And so we need to always be keeping a mind on our fees and making sure that that's as manageable as possible and as low as possible. And with professional regulation and disciplinary action being the biggest chunk of the budget, then we need to be looking at that carefully to ensure that we're not compromising the role that the law society plays in that, which is, of course, to ensure competence of the profession. But we want to make sure that we're doing that in the most efficient, cost-effective way possible. When it comes to mentorship in the profession, how has that impacted you? How do you see that playing out for other recent calls? I am where I am today because of mentorship. Law is the ultimate apprenticeship profession. 
I don't think anyone is born a great cross-examiner or a great litigation strategist or a great anything. And you only develop those skills by being taught. You need to be taught and you need someone to invest in you and teach you the skills that you need to be good at your job. And so with that, it really is important to ensure that everyone has equal access to that opportunity. I've been very blessed to have people at my firm, people like Sarit Batner, Jeff Hall, Tom Sutton, really invest in me. And that's why I am the lawyer that I am. And if not everyone's getting those opportunities, then it becomes, that's when we see the unequal outcomes. And I worry things like unconscious bias is impacting who's getting access to those mentorship and sponsorship opportunities and who's not. Unconscious bias is the next big frontier for our profession and the next big issue that we need to address. In my dream world, we would have judges take unconscious bias training every year, at least, maybe a few times a year, and really robust unconscious bias training, not the one-hour session over lunch. We would have partners at our law firms take unconscious bias training, especially before they're undertaking things like reviews or before they interview candidates for interviews. And all lawyers at all levels would be taking unconscious bias training. I think that that's going to be very important for us because ultimately that's what's impacting and preventing some lawyers from succeeding or some lawyers from achieving the things that they want to achieve and not others. You know, for the vast majority of our profession, no one is actively racist. I really don't believe that to be true. But when we see different outcomes, something's at play here. One of the big levers to that is unconscious bias. And how do you think we get that buy-in from judges, from senior lawyers? Where is the political will to make that happen? That's where things like social media can really come into play. I think about Brianna Needham, who successfully, through her Twitter advocacy, got the Osgoode Hall change rooms to go from the vastly unequal 70 lockers for the men's room to 12 lockers for the female rooms to the new change room, which is going to be one big all-gendered inclusive space. And so to me, that's very powerful and that's our future. If we demand it as members of the profession and say, this is important to us and we keep doing that, I think it's going to be hard for judges to ignore that. It's going to be hard for law firms to ignore that. Aside from what we've already discussed, are there any issues you want to flag or mention for anyone who may be listening? The big thing for me is looking at the last election and the turnout rates, the under 10-year call, get out the vote effort, if you will, or voting ratio or however you want to call it, is lower amongst other banners of year of calls. You know, we are the future of the profession under 10 years, and the decision that the Law Society makes has an impact for us for the rest of our professions, which are long. And so I would really encourage younger calls to vote, A, so that we can get younger representation on convocation, but B, so that the issues that impact younger calls are adequately addressed by more senior members of convocation because they know that we're a big voting block and we're paying attention. This is my first time that I'm actually able to participate in the election. I was not yet called in 2015. And I'm wondering your thoughts. Do you think social media will have an impact on how messages are delivered by candidates? I think it's definitely a game changer. More and more lawyers are on social media. It's an equalizer. So younger calls who may not have 
big firm support or budgets behind them have an opportunity for their voices and their names to be out there. That's a huge thing, and it's a good thing. My worry is always, you know, the people are engaged on social media, but I don't know if that means those people are voting. And I think there's lots of reasons behind that. A lot of times people vote because they know someone who's running, and so therefore they want to vote to support their person. And if there's more candidates who are from a certain vintage, that means there's more friends from that vintage who are coming out to vote. So I don't actually know the stats because I didn't look at um, every single person, but just from looking at the names of all of the people who are running, I think there's only ha- a handful of people who are in the under 10-year category. So when you think about 74 people in Toronto, and I can't remember what the number is for outside of Toronto, it's a concerning small proportion. And I worry that means that, again, the under 10-year vote isn't going to come out to vote. I completely agree. Someone who's interested in your campaign, how do they learn more about you? My website is probably the first place to go. I've included my platform. I've included endorsements. I've included events that I'm going to be at so people know where to find me. I want to engage in conversations with people, so I encourage people to come up to me when we're at an event or I'm at an event and speak to me. I'm happy to engage on Twitter. My handle is at Atricia Lewis. And I'm very responsive on Twitter. I'm on it all the time. (laughs) Those are the ways to reach out to me and to learn more about me and my campaign. Karima, I want to say this is awesome that you're going out there and meeting candidates and giving them a platform. It's very collegial and civil. And those are words that we used in litigation all the time, but I actually don't think reflects what I'm trying to convey, which is it's really amazing that you're trying to amplify other women's voices and other candidates' voices. That says a lot about your character and your campaign and who you would be as a venture. Thank you. And, you know, my goal in doing this is to ensure that the good ideas are being heard. And however they get implemented, that's what I'm interested in seeing. So thank you for saying that. And again, thank you for participating. Of course, my pleasure. The Bencher election 2019 for the Law Society of Ontario takes place from April 15th to 30th. If you're out of Ontario, why not look at what's happening in your region? If you know someone who's practicing, see what they're up to. Encourage them to vote. Check me out on Twitter at Karima Rules. <laughs>